Welcome back to another one of our Six Questions podcasts. I'm Trent England with Save Our States. Really glad to, uh, to have you here and very excited to welcome uh, Nick Adams. He's the president of the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Uh, that that uh, turns into FLAG if you turn it into an acronym. Uh, Nick, good morning. Good morning, Trent. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's really, it's really great to be here and uh, great to talk with you. First question, really simple, uh, flag. Tell us about your foundation. Look, the day that I immigrated to the United States, Trent, I set up FLAG, the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. It's a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to teaching civics and putting patriotism back in K-12 schools. And we basically do it three ways. Number one, through classroom visits. Number two, through the creation and distribution of kid-friendly resources relating to the founding documents. And number three, through professional development training for teachers, where we teach teachers how to teach civics the way that it used to be taught to all of them. So we've had tremendous success uh, in getting our resources out there to different schools and, and uh Students, we've got more than a million students nationwide now that have got at least one of our four resources. So we've got the Students' Constitution, the Students' Declaration of Independence, the Students' Selected Readings of the Federalist Papers, as well as the Students' Guide to the Electoral College. Uh, our brand new resources just come out. It's called Freedom Versus Socialism, a high schooler's guide. So we're really intent, Trent, on making sure that the next generation of Americans truly understand what it means to be an American. Because I think for a couple of generations now, we have not taught what it means to be an American. We haven't taught Americanism. And that's why I set up FLAG, because I've been in love with the United States pretty much all of my life. And as, of course, all of your listeners and viewers can probably tell, I wasn't born here. Uh, I'm, I'm a legal immigrant to the United States, now a naturalized US citizen. And I often feel that a lot of Americans don't realize how special and unique and extraordinary this country is, particularly the young people in the United States. And that's why there was all this emphasis on colleges. And, and of course, there's some terrible stuff that happens uh, on college campuses. But for me, you know, in 2022, Trent, I believe that by the time a, an American student sets foot on their college campus for the first time, the indoctrination that began on their first day of elementary school is well and truly complete. And often we simply spin our wheels. I think the real progress and the real impact can be made far younger than that. And that's why I think it's something that the other side understands a lot better than the right than conservatives do that you need to reach children uh, at an age where they're starting to formulate their opinions and ideas. And the only way that we're going to continue America the way that she has been, uh, a country unlike any in recorded human history in, in more than 5,000 years, the only way that we're going to do that is by making sure that they are tethered to the founding values, the ideals of the founding documents and the founders' vision for the country. I, I could not agree more, Nick. I, it, I'm so excited about what you're doing because I, I feel like 
for some reason, conservatives have focused, as you, as you mentioned, on college for a long time. And I, I think there's some there's a sense it's kind of low hanging fruit, right? You've got all these young people, they're all clustered together and you, you know where to find them and they've got some free time on their hands. And uh, and yet, you know, I, I completely agree. I think I think students walk onto college campuses with some pretty strong predilections as to which way they're going to go politically and what they're going to believe. And I I think what you're doing to, to get to them early is, is just critical. You mentioned that that flag has put an emphasis on the Electoral College. It's one of the things that you help students understand. Uh, so second question, why why do you think that that institutions like the Electoral College, you know, the, the left is, is after the Electoral College, they're after the Senate, they're after the Supreme Court, at least when it doesn't do what they want. Their mantra is democracy. I mean, why, why do you think that's a threat? And I guess the flip side of that is, why is it so important to preserve those things? Well, the big thing is, Trent, I think a lot of people don't realise, but leftists are, by their very nature, destroyers. Conservatives are builders. And the left have to destroy everything in order to create the new utopia that they seek. And that, of course, begins with the United States, because... The United States is perhaps the greatest emblem, the greatest symbol of the success of everything that the left hates. And so in order to kind of achieve what they want to achieve and convince people that what they want is better, they have to diminish and destroy America as much as they possibly can. And that's why they go after these institutions like the Electoral College for me, the Electoral College, is, as somebody obviously that studied American history, studied American government and politics uh, at university and by myself, for me, the Electoral College is the embodiment of the prescience and brilliance of America's founders. They were always so many steps ahead. And I think the only reason why the United States still has a fighting chance uh, to overcome the natural history stage that it's at. I mean, America's about to turn 246 years old next month. If you go back and look throughout history, it's always been between 230 and 270 years of age that superpower, the great nations tend to fall. And I think the reason that America has a fighting chance to get to 300 to celebrate her third centennial in 2076 is purely because of just how visionary and forward thinking the founders were. And you can't get a better example of that than the Electoral College. They were able to forecast that perhaps one day the population centres would be in the cities and it would unfairly uh, advantage a particular region over another. And so they decided we're going to make sure that can never happen. And that's why the Electoral College was implemented. And when we go and flag goes into schools and we talk to students in classrooms about the Electoral College, Trent, it's really sad. They've got absolutely no idea why the Electoral College exists. They don't know the idea behind it. And the little that they do know has been influenced by what the left has put out there, that the Electoral College is unfair and it should be one vote per person and that's democracy and anything other than that is not democracy. And they just don't understand it, which is why we decided to really kind of focus on that. But yes, the left, the Democrats, they would love to create a 51st state, make D.C. a state. They'd love to 
completely changed the rules of the game and the country. And one of the things that I want to make sure that young Americans understand is that if we start to do those things, America is no longer going to be America. America is going to be transformed or the latest terminology that the other side uses and all of the opportunities, all of the things that make their own personal dreams more likely to come to fruition are going to disappear. So if they want to have the best shot at achieving the dreams that they have, we have to keep America the way that it's always been. We can't go into a European-style country or some other variation of that. I'm talking here with Nick Adams. He's the president of the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness on our Six Questions podcast. Question number three is about gender ideology. This is another really grave threat, I think, to our, our country and, you know, even, even more broadly, just to, to sort of Western civilization. Uh, Nick, Florida, where you live now, has done some things to push back on this, has gotten tremendous uh, pressure from corporations, from the federal government, from the media. Uh, what, what do you see going on in Florida? Is it enough? Is the tide beginning to turn on this really bizarre, you know, moment in history where we, we see this gender ideology, for, you know, in our schools and our corporations, you know, all, all across the land? Well, this is always a bit of a head scratcher for me, Trent, because I, I, it's really hard for me to understand this whole gender ideology thing. Uh, Governor DeSantis has certainly been a godsend for Florida, and I think in, under his leadership, essentially, Florida has become to the United States what the United States is for the world, and that is a, a leading light, a shining example, and if only the rest of America were taking Florida's lead, I think that we'd be much better placed to really to win and reach that 300 years. Uh, look, the left have decided that they want to wage war on traditional genders. And we've seen this obviously in the attack on masculinity, on the attack on the attack on men. Now, for a long time, uh, the embrace of radical feminism, and I think that this is really a corollary to that. And now they're even questioning that there are two genders. Now, how you can debate that there are two genders or not is really quite beyond me. And perhaps at the ripe age of 37, uh, maybe I'm just too, too old to understand it, even at my age. I don't know. But um, to me, the left want to destroy gender again because they want to destroy the roots of civilization as we know it. Because if you destroy gender, Trent, you destroy the family. And I believe as a conservative that the traditional family unit is the cornerstone. It's the foundation of everything. And so I think that this is a further attack on the family, an attack on civilization, an attack on the norm. And that's why it's got to be pushed back upon. It's got to be fought vigorously because if we don't, then this political correctness uh, that now is obviously filtered into gender where you can choose uh, 57, I think, is the number, but maybe that's not up to date. I don't know. But you can essentially choose now when your baby is born to elect uh, either that they don't have a gender or, or whatever it is. 
And this is simply political correctness gone crazy. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very sad that this kind of choking conformity, this intellectual tyranny that is political correctness has become so widespread, uh, even affecting things that previously have been indisputable, incontrovertible, undeniable. Uh, how anybody can seriously posit that there are more than two genders is, is for any right-thinking, plain-speaking person, absolutely absurd. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, question number four, Nick, in addition to being the president of the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness, you're also an author. You wrote a book called The Most Dangerous President in History. Nick, what is that book about? Yeah, thanks for asking, Trent. Look, I believe that Joe Biden is easily the most dangerous president that the United States of America has ever had, and I don't even think it's close. Anybody that recently saw his interview uh, late night can see that we're dealing with a man, we're dealing with an individual that simply does not have the mental acuity, he does not have the cognitive awareness of being the president of the United States. But that's just one part. The other part is that he has surrounded himself or is surrounded by the most radical left Marxist thinking type people imaginable. And now the veil has completely disappeared, at least with President Obama, who many will also believe is an extraordinarily dangerous president, I certainly do, but at least with him, even if you go back and you have a look at his speeches, he tried to cloak the leftism and the socialism and the, the heavily leftist thinking and ideologies and policies, he tried to cloak them in pro-American language. Mm -hmm. He tried to wrap himself in the flag because he thought that was the only way to actually successfully market what he wanted to do or what he was doing. With President Biden, there is no cloaking. There is absolutely no uh, attempt to even conceal what is going on. And that's why we have such extraordinarily uh, leftist, communist, almost socialist, certainly policies that are in place and why Americans are hurting so much. So I think the combination of President Biden really just not being completely with it. Uh, in Australia, there is a uh, expression called, uh, you know, you've got a kangaroo loose in the top paddock. And, uh, you know, I really think that, that, that this president is kind of, uh, he's a paling short of a fence. He's not the full dollar. You choose your expression. Uh, I don't think that he really has the mental capability to occupy the position that he has and that he does. And then on top of that, the fact that everybody around him is, is so hardcore uh, un-American. I mean, the biggest difference, Trent, I think with this president, you can also say President Obama was like this as well, is that they don't believe in American exceptionalism. They don't love America the way that that you and I do. They don't love the things about America that you and I do. They want to transform America clearly into something it's never been, something it isn't, and quite frankly, I believe something it should never, ever become. 
And that's why Joe Biden is the most dangerous president in history. Uh, it is a, a brand new book. You can pre-order it right now. Uh, I think it's going to be a bestseller. And um, I think every American concerned about themselves, their family and their country must read it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Nick, uh, question number five, uh, something I'm really interested in your your answer to this. I, I've been to Australia, which obviously is where you grew up. You were in politics there. Uh, you were the youngest elect, the youngest deputy mayor in Australian history in Sydney. Uh, and you know, it strikes me that an American can look at Australia and say, "Hey, look, I mean, it's it's another United States, right? I mean, the, the history." Is, uh, is similar as far as being a part of the British Empire and a part of the Anglosphere and all the things that, that go along with that. Um, obviously, there are some differences in, in the history as well. But I, I'm curious from your experience growing up in Australia, being in politics there, you know, coming to the United States, being involved in, in politics here in a, in a different way, obviously. But what are the things that are similar? What are the things that are, that are different between the United States in Australia, you know, we, we, we do have a, a certain shared heritage, I guess. Well, the big thing to understand, Trent, is that the international perception that has been built now over the last few decades, uh, carefully crafted, I would say, by Hollywood and marketers and advertising people, that international perception has always been pretty vastly different to the domestic reality. And I think that Americans and people around the world, as they watched last year on television and on social media, all of the stories come out about uh, how draconian a lot of the response to COVID was. I think they realised that they've been sold a bit of a lemon, that uh, Australia is not this land of rugged individualists that are punching crocodiles or punching kangaroos and, and wrestling crocodiles all day, uh, they see that that is not, uh, that's really not what Australia is. And I can tell you as somebody obviously that spent the first 32 years of my life in Australia, that it's never been that way. In fact, Australia is the second most urbanised country in the world. So that means that 89% of Australians live in one of the six major cities, Sydney, Hobart, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Perth. So right there, you can see why the culture would be a little bit different. The whole idea of the outback and everything else, it exists in, 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 in vast space, but not in population numbers. And of course, culture is created where the population is. And that's why I've always believed that Australia has, has always more resembled a European country in culture uh, as opposed to the United States, which is really a country, I think, of small towns as opposed to, to major cities. Because a really interesting thing to do is to go and add up all of the different population centres of all of the major areas in the United States. And I think you'll find that you don't really get past 120 or so million which means that uh, there's, a, there's a much more significant population in regional and, and rural areas in the United States than there are in most other countries, which could explain why, at least up until recently, America has always projected small town conservative values 
on a national and international scale. Uh, so that's that's something that's interesting. But uh, look, Australia is a place, a trend. I don't know if you've if you've been down there, uh, but if you go to Australia and you bring in the wrong kind of fruit or the wrong kind of nut, you may as well bring in a kilo of cocaine because you're going to be treated exactly the same way. Uh, it's It's got that island mentality. It's very protective. It's very draconian. It's very structured. Uh, that's just the way that it is. Now, it's a nice country to uh, have a great life in if you don't really want to upset the apple cart, if you're not really looking to blaze a trail and leave a legacy and do things that no one's done before and if you're not really interested in colouring outside of the lines and bringing attention to yourself, Australia's a great place uh, to be. But for someone that's really entrepreneurial and really wants to get out there and and chase and hunt and pursue and make a name for themselves and all of that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it's really not the place to be. That's fascinating. That that's that does really help me. I, I have been to Australia and uh, just kind of up and down the the East Coast there, and that that helps me understand quite a bit more why the difference. I it's it's you don't see that just driving around. It, it's hard to realize how urbanized the population is uh, relative to the United States. That that makes all kinds of sense, and and probably sounds alarm bells for us in the United States as our population has been uh, becoming more and more urban. I, I think it's just people, people lose the, uh, the sense that they can rely on one another and on themselves. And they, uh, you know, once people live in big cities, they, they tend to look to uh, uh, government as their, their higher power, I think, which is uh, <laughs> the root of all kinds of problems. Well, it's just another reason why, again, the Electoral College is, is so necessary and so brilliant. Uh, yeah. Because you can see in Australia what you you know what's happened. So, Nick, our last question on six questions is always the same: Who is your favorite founding father, and why? Look, you can't go past the greatest American of all time, George Washington. Uh, if just imagine if George Washington had decided to be a king, uh, I think. His leadership, the inspirational stories uh, about the bulletproof George Washington and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's just absolutely fascinating stuff. Uh, I, when I think about what it means to be an American, when I think about everything that's, that's in an American, I, you really just, uh, to me, he's such an inspirational figure, such a, a transformational figure in, in the sense of what his actions were how different the world could have could have become, how different the United States would be today. So I think every single American owes a very significant debt of gratitude to George Washington. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, just I love I love reading about him. I love knowing about him. I've got a bust of him uh, at my home. Uh, so I you know I think that uh, it's one of the questions when flag again goes into a school, I always ask them, who is the greatest American to have ever lived? And unfortunately, I, I don't always get the right answer, but I explain to them or I make the case for why I think it's George Washington. Yeah. 
Nick Adams, president of the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Uh, your, your book, The Most Dangerous President in History, is, uh, is coming out. Tell people how they can follow you on social media, how they can uh, get in touch with the, with the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. So Trent, the website is flagusa.org. That's flagusa.org. You can follow Flag. You can follow Nick Adams uh, everywhere, that mostly on uh, Facebook and Twitter. I'm verified. It'd be pretty easy to find me. Uh, but make sure you connect with us on social media. That way we can continue to, to do what we do. Uh, also, my website is nickadamsusa.com, nickadamsusa.com. Perfect. Nick, thank you so much for being a part of Six Questions. Trent, it's been a pleasure. Thanks to all of you for watching or listening. We're so thankful to have you as a part of our Save Our States family, helping us defend the Electoral College every day of the week, every day of the year. It is an important mission, as Nick and I have talked about here today. You can find out more at SaveOurStates.com. We'll be back next week with another episode.